Hey, Pop Medieval listeners. In this episode, we're going to talk very frankly about rape and sexual assault. So if you want to sit this one out, go right ahead. Thanks. Recorded in our Nerd Haven studios, this is Pop Medieval, with your hosts, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McEnroe, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Doc? What, Nina? Well, we are at the last Movember movie, and even though it's in December, we're wrapping things up. Yes, Movember is, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year, but there was a, a big movie that we wanted to include this year, so we did. We were not able to see it until, I think I saw it on the 30th of, of November. No fault of our own, it was not on VOD until then. Yes, but we didn't want to wait for it, because it made a big splash, There will be full spoilers ahead in this, ladies and gentlemen. So we will be talking about The Last Duel. The Last Duel, which I rather liked and you liked as well, as I recall. We did, yes. We both really liked this movie. We would be doing a disservice to ourselves and to our pop medieval listeners if we did not cover this movie for Movember. So that's why we really wanted to have this movie reviewed and go well into December for Movember. Yeah. So it's worth the wait. Worth the wait. All right. So uh, let's get into it. The movie is about a real historic incident that happened. In the 14th century, there was a duel between Jean de Carouge and uh, Jacques de Gris, uh, Legree. Oh my gosh, I can't get their names right. We just talked about them in the <laughs> pre-show for French. half hour. Yes. Yeah. Jean French. and Jacques. And because Jean's wife, Jean de Carouge, his wife said that Jacques Legree had raped her. They felt like they couldn't get justice through the normal legal means, so he demanded trial by combat, which by the 14th century Mm -hmm. is pretty rare. And so that trial by combat Mm -hmm. happens. We see the the aftermath of that. But most of the movie, the movie opens with the beginning of the duel, which isn't truly the last duel in history, of course. But by this time, it had become so rare. It was rather like the last duel. Mm -hmm. And then we have really a, a tripartite structure. So the first part we see the events that led up to it from the perspective of uh, Jean de Carouge, who is the the husband. Then we see the events from the perspective of Jacques Legree, who is the accused rapist. And then we see the events from the, well, maybe from the perspective of Marguerite, the, mm-hmm. the wife of Jean, who accused him of rape. And in right. the film itself, it's kind of depicted that that her version is the true version. Right. So we see kind of what goes on. And so over the course of this, essentially what happens is she is from a family that has been disgraced because of some disloyalty to the king, but she's very beautiful. Jean and Jacques were friends and allies. They'd fought in battle together, but Jean is not very adept at the courtly life. Jacques is. Uh, Jean is much more adept at battle. And so what starts to happen is Jean keeps offending people and declining in his fortunes, whereas Jacques Legree, by being politically better than him and being much more, uh, I suppose, charming, he is able to rise in his status. Mm-hmm. It begins with a, the, the main conflict through most of it has to do with a piece of land that was promised as part of Marguerite's dowry to uh, Jean de Carouge. Before that happens, that dowry goes to settle some debts and the sequence of events 
is confused depending on on which version you're looking at. But by the time he gets married, that land is no longer his father-in-law's to give, but he expected it. And so he sues the count for it, which makes the count mad. This leads to a lot of political angst. Also, Jean has not a lot of money. Uh, so he keeps going to war because he needs money. In the end, this conflict just grows and grows, grows between them until there is an incident where I would argue that the film, even in Jacques' version, shows that Jacques raped Marguerite, then denies it. This then leads to this demand for a trial by combat. And trial by combat by the 14th century had become very rare, and that is the last duel itself. So. Do you want me to get into how that resolves itself, or do you want to hold <laughs> off on that? Let's hold off. We okay. are going to spoil this movie. Yeah. Let's unpack all this movie, because there's a lot to talk about. Okay. This movie is very intense. It's yes. violent. It's political. It's hard to watch, but I love this movie. I think we were we were both talking about oh, how yes. much we we yeah. really enjoyed this movie because of all of that, and also in spite of that. I did want to talk a little bit first about the historical mm -hmm. setting and the historical context of what's going on, because I that gets into the themes or the theme of this film. And in history, what's going on so far is the Hundred Years' War, correct? Yes. And so the Hundred Years' War, okay, hundred foot level. Yeah. <laughs> England and France are at war right yes. yes so and they've been at war since uh really the invasion of normandy N well no not not, well, not the not, sorry not that invasion no. of normandy no that's kind of where <laughs> no where things are going to start happening okay so basically the hundred years war lasts more than 100 years i think it lasts 112 mm -hmm. years anyway it, la it lasts a little yeah. bit more than 100 years and it, it isn't like they're constantly fighting there are actually just a handful of big battles in it. But essentially what happens is in 1066, when there's the Norman conquest and France takes over England, both sides start to think of France and England as in some ways one entity controlled by France. That England becomes mm -hmm. like an outpost of France. Well, as the centuries go and these two sides are geographically separated by the English Channel... And also, as different people have different claims on nobility, uh, this becomes fractured as to whether the nobles of England are the rightful rulers of France or the nobles of France are the rightful rulers of England. Ultimately, when everything comes down, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in 100 years, to be clear. So there isn't yeah. just one element. But I would argue that that's kind of what it all comes down to is it's England and France were kind of united and need to, I'm saying need to as if this is inevitable it is but, but need to be disunited and this is what the hundred years war is it's each side asserting its rights over the other one correct yeah and at the time well the initiation of this war is that edward iii of england had a, a seemingly legitimate claim to france mm -hmm. and said well no i'm now the, the king of france all of france is mine much to the surprise and objection of france <laughs> and they went to war and at the time france was really balkanized right they it was yeah. it was was under a monarchy but everything in france was split up into duchies and yes. different provinces and they didn't all get along so it was really hard to unite under one specific you know crown is that correct okay. that's not even unusual to france right so mm -hmm. like even in the yeah. early modern era well not even the early modern era one of my favorite lines from the tv series downton abbey is at the beginning one of the girls is likely the <laughs> going to have difficulty finding a spouse because of a scandal and her mm -hmm. grandmother or great aunt i can't remember her position says well why didn't she just find some italian prince that's what italian princes are for uh because there are so <laughs> many even like 
by before world just before world war one there are so many italian principalities still i mean this is this is 20th century already at this point there's so many italian mm. principalities that there are you know italian princes you can't walk without tripping over one this is the case certainly in 14th century france for sure so at the time of this movie's start king charles v is dead and king charles v is the i guess he's the known initiator of the hundred years war or he's like the main king associated with the war yes he's dead and king charles the sixth who is known as the mad king if you remember from our episode on the movie the king which we did two years ago, he's taken over. So it begins before 1380. I think that's right. And the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because I believe the theme of this movie is property. Like who owns and who is entitled to what property and who deserves and who feels the need and who feels which property is being violated. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm leading to. And I, I wanted to put this into his, some historical context. Yeah, at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, that's certainly how some characters see what happens. So the first story is Jean de Carouge's story. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got taglines written for each <laughs> chapter. So Give us your taglines. The tagline for Jean de Carouge's story is, Everyone has wronged me, comma, a strong alpha male. <laughs> yes. So Jean de Carouge, if I can describe him, he is this big hulking war hero, or at least he sees himself as this. And he's played by Matt Damon, who is excellent in his role. Everyone is excellent yeah. in their role. Everyone is great. Everybody is great. Yeah. I, I don't think there was a single, even minor actor. I was like, eh. no, everyone is wonderful. No, well casted and everything. But his storyline is filled with all of the action scenes other yes. than the final scene or the final story, which has the duel itself. All of the war scene that Ridley Scott, the director of this movie has, all of the fight scenes are in his storyline. So you get to see all of the sword fights, all of the crushing, all of the blood and guts and, you know, horses neighing and rearing and all that. Those are in his storyline. So he feels that he is this really tough war-torn warlord, really. Mm-hmm. But he also feels like he is owed everything and he feels like he is owed everything because he is this great land owning responsible clear thinking clear speaking rational man yes and you see this in every single scene that he's in in his storyline and i think about five ten minutes in it started to click with me oh i know this guy you know (laughs) everyone knows this guy because every single story he tells when you meet this guy is i don't know why everyone is so mad at me i spoke rationally and i spoke clearly and just people just don't give me what i want and i don't understand why so i i feel like this guy is a uh, unreal reliable narrator for a lot of reasons you know and it's interesting he's actually much more eloquent not that he is eloquent ever Mm. he's much more eloquent in his version than the versions of others which Mm. leads me to believe that we're left to understand that in his own mind that's what i meant to say you know Mm -hmm. i meant to say this and so on the one hand that divide between what he says and what he thinks he says condemns him because you sort you really understand why he's on the outs with everyone because he Mm -hmm. is just, he has a bad temper. He says the wrong thing when he could easily say things in a better way. He goes and has 
verbal confrontations that he knows he cannot win. All they do is damage him. But we see from his point of view what he thinks he's saying. And so I suppose in some ways we could say that maybe it does mitigate it, that he's not out there trying to be a total jackass. He's just so, right. it's expressed to us again and again that he's not, he's not super smart. Uh, yeah. And so because he's not super smart, Maybe he does think he's expressed himself clearly. <laughs> yes, not. Yeah. Uh, ever. No. Even in, in war, you know, we're given at least one incident where we see it from someone else's perspective. And there's a scene where he's being baited at the beginning. And he's going to go, let's go, let's go fight for honor, basically. And at that moment, I thought, like, they're totally baiting him. Like, that, this, that would be stupid mm-hmm. to do. And then he does it. I actually didn't need that scene to be retold to realize, well, that was dumb. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, that was dumb. So even though he is clearly a great warrior, he is not super bright. No. And you can see that when you go to other storylines, the yes. other two storylines, and you can see what is left out. Like when he confronts Legree and uh, the Count Pierre at that dinner party yes. that they're throwing, he goes to confront them and then... It cuts out and it cuts back to him talking to his wife. And he says to Marguerite, I don't know what happened. I I just spoke to them very plainly and clearly. And they just, they didn't give me what I want. And I don't know what happened. And then you see it from Legree's perspective. And he's just standing there screaming and sputtering, 20 years, 20 years, my father owned that 20 years. He just, he doesn't make any sense. He's just a sputtering, screaming fool. Yeah. And it's not just the way he speaks. It's implied strongly in Marguerite's version that one of the reasons, maybe the only reason that he's so broke all the time is because he's not good at managing the properties he has. That it isn't that he doesn't yeah. have properties, but he doesn't manage them well. Mm-hmm. And and part of that, we're kind of it's implied, is that he doesn't use his resources pragmatically. He uses them according to a sense of what he thinks is an honorable way to use them, which is often not a pragmatic way. So, for example, he refuses to use horses that are used for war for other kinds of labor, even though they desperately need them. We get the sense that it's not just the way he speaks, we're told again and again that he's illiterate and that apparently he's not good at his numbers as well. So. Right, yeah. So part of his problem is just he's he's not super smart and he has this sense of honor and he doesn't know how to express it well and he also doesn't know how to fulfill it well, but he thinks he does. No. So speaking of someone who's good at numbers, let's move on to Jacques Legree's mm-hmm. storyline. Mm-hmm. And his tagline, which I wrote, is... No one understands me, comma, an intellectual. <laughs> um, <laughs> this guy, played by Adam Driver, as I said, is, he thinks very highly of himself, which he, again, he was lowborn, as he describes. We don't have any reason to not believe him because he doesn't have any name. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any family that we know of. But he seems to have climbed his way up from no one to squire mm-hmm. in a relatively short amount of time. But he's well-read. He speaks dozens of languages. Mm-hmm. He is a absolute ladies man that's the nice way of putting it loves to show off as seen in that one scene at the dinner table mm-hmm. with the count really where i want to stop with the compliments though because he <laughs> is he's a rapist let's be honest in his perspective he believes that he is owed the rights to 
another woman's body. I mean, he thinks that he falls in love with Marguerite because she is nice to him. From his perspective, she reads all the same books that he does. She speaks all the same languages that he does. So he is smitten with her and he believes this is true love. And he, of course, forces himself on her. Then he believes that, oh no, this was just a misunderstanding. You know, no, we had an affair. As he says, she protested because she's a lady, mm-hmm. which just, oh my God. <laughs> well, there is that, there is that moment where he reads from, I think it's Ovid's Arzamor, but uh, it, I yeah. don't think it's Capulanus's Art of Court Love. I think it's Arzamor, but, and there is a kind of sense that you, you know, you don't want to be too easy, but even in his perspective, she's very flirtatious with, it, with him up until that point that he arrives. So the most yeah. sympathetic portrayal of what happens still leaves him as I would argue definitely raping her in the medieval understanding of this as well. There are ways that could have been portrayed where it would have been more ambiguous. And we certainly see some scenes where there is a kind of flirtatious push and pull uh, that happens in the weird orgies that, that Pierre has. Oh, well, that that was a bunch of consenting adults. <laughs> right. The people yeah. are everyone's there for for this event. Yes, yeah. People were there with the expectation of consensual sex, and that was not the case when he went to Marguerite's uh, estate. I think we could have even bought it more, except they use a lie to get him in with her. Yeah, Uh, exactly. So I think even from the medieval perspective, he raped her, I I would argue. Yeah, Um, the one joke I did come up with is there's a, a scene where he's walking around a bunch of desks, and he's like moving little figures on abacuses Mm -hmm. and i was like oh in the safe agile world he would have been known as a scrum master (laughs) that's exactly what he's he's like he bothered me so much i (laughs) i could not stand this guy i admired the movie's restraint in showing this character's point of view from his perspective they could have made him much more sinister yeah especially when portrayed by adam driver because i feel like adam driver doesn't get enough respect as an actor like he is he's a really really good actor and people forget that he's a former marine too so he's a he's a big scary guy but that really unsettled me with the the two because you you see the the rape scene from two perspectives one from his perspective which is really startling and then again from marguerite's perspective which is even more terrifying and both times i'm sitting there like oh my god this is horrible I have to say that, like, obviously the the version with Marguerite's was worse, but it yeah. wasn't that much worse because his version was no. bad enough. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, the dialogue was exactly the same, yeah. except just changed based on what he thought was going on. Yes, yes. So let's go into Marguerite's perspective now. Okay. So there, there's an interesting structure. So at the beginning, we see the duel. And at the end, again, we're going to see the duel. And that appears to be not from anyone's particular perspective. So beyond that, the first one, which is Jean de Rouge's perspective, that is presented as the truth according to Jean de Rouge. And then when we get to the next section, it's called the truth according to Jacques Legree. And then we get to mm-hmm. the truth according to Marguerite Carouge. And then... As that fades out, the words, the truth, stay on the screen 
so that there's a moment when only the words the truth stay there, the implication being that what we're seeing with her version is the absolute unvarnished truth, not poisoned, poisoned, not distorted by perspective. You had some thoughts on this, I think. I did. Um, I'm ambivalent. First of all, my tagline for Marguerite is, you think these guys are D-bags? Well, hashtag me too. So it's very easy to see that, you know, that fade out with the truth and go, yeah, believe all women, which sure. And that's an entire other podcast to get into. But it's also very, very disingenuous and frustrating to see that from Hollywood, which has built its entire infrastructure, not believing women, holding women down, keeping them silent and ruining their careers, their livelihoods, and their psyches, and empowering people like Harvey Weinstein, which ran companies like Miramax. Sorry, I'm getting very upset now. That, that, start, that started the careers yeah. of uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? <laughs> yes, that started the careers of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, yeah. who are both in this movie. So I saw that, and yeah, for like a good 10, 20 minutes, I thought, yeah, this is really good. I'm glad that we're seeing this from her perspective and this movie is following uh, Marguerite and saying this is the truth. On the other hand, as a woman and as someone who is very skeptical of Hollywood and how they handle, quote, the truth, man, that pissed me off. <laughs> so I don't know. I really don't like being pandered to and I don't like being treated like I'm stupid. So, mm. Yes. And don't don't get me wrong. I loved this movie. I really, really loved this movie. And I, I love the movie in spite of that. And I don't like movies that are about sexual assault. I don't like movies that have sexual assault in them because I think it's a lazy way of writing. I think it's a lazy way of creating tension and making villains more villainous. I do think that this movie, however, does a very good way of getting away from that. Mm -hmm. But that in particular did not sit well with me. So, so, yeah, I watched this with Mrs. Awesome, who has never been able to identify a single actor in any movie, I think, ever. <laughs> that is not her talent. She frequently will say, do I know that person? And then I'll have to tell her what she knows that person from. And then she'll say, oh, yeah. And then she'll forget immediately. That is not what she knows. So, so when she saw that, she took that at face value. Uh, she was mm -hmm. fine with that. And she already was feeling very agitated and wanted to, you know, wanted to see both of them die in the duel, I suppose. But once it started, actually, there's a, a moment where she suddenly just, just sort of shouted at the, at the TV, whatever, uh, feeling like yeah. Marguerite's version was just as self-serving as the other yeah. uh, versions. And so she actually having nothing to do with all that Weinstein stuff. And like, she doesn't know. Right. She, she knows none of that stuff. I mean, she might know it. She just doesn't know it's connected with these people in this, in this film. Mm -hmm. She just saw what was on the screen and did some eye rolling and, you know, Oh, we're supposed to take this as the unvarnished truth. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And I think even if I were someone like Mrs. Awesome, who mm -hmm. knows none of that meta stuff, it still also was was cringy at, at times uh, because yeah. of that. So I, I think that was a right. big misstep. I would actually argue it was the biggest misstep in the, in the film, which, again, also loved. Loved this movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So with that out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about how her version differs from 
Jean de Carrouge and Legris. So the brutality of the scene aside, her opinions of both men are extremely low. Like her husband on one hand, she she doesn't have a high opinion of him. He's, you can see from her perspective, he's just a dumb brute who doesn't know how to manage his estate. She's got to do it for him, which she's really good at despite her, her mother-in-law is like, just has no opinion of her because she can't give him babies. I think we should stop for one moment and go back to, yeah. she, because her father was a traitor, and he's mm-hmm. from a noble family. For him to marry her, everyone, everyone involved thinks he's condescending in some way to marry her. That that she does not deserve to have someone from such a noble family as his, given what her father did. So there is a sense in which the marriage begins as unequal. You know, there's this conflict early on about like whether this land is owed to him or not. The mother's yeah. very pragmatic about everything. I think part of the problem was, number one... He was lowering himself to marry her to begin with. Number two, he was lowering himself for some land that got swept out from underneath him before he got the bride. And then number three, five years into the marriage, she has no kids. She's never right. been pregnant. And and because he was previously married, he had a wife and child who died in the plague, they know that there's no problem that he can't have children. My thoughts on that were, like, he may have sustained some injury during battle or some illness or something because you, just because you were able to sire children before doesn't mean that you are always able to sire children. But anyway, that's a, that's a scientific thing. And also from her perspective on Legree, she was kind to him, but the kindness that she showed to him isn't really in her perspective. Like they, they kind of exchange looks. So that scene that he remembers when they are talking in like old German or I, I thought it was old English, but uh, it's it's actually German. Like around that table, they're like having that flirtatious scene, uh, according to him. That's not in her version. She talks with her friend. She's like, yeah, he's handsome, blah, 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 blah. They really don't have any interaction in her version of the story. Since it's depicted to us as the truth, the idea I think is to be that either he completely imagined that, which is, mm-hmm. I suppose, possible because he, there's another scene that he clearly dreams uh, mm-hmm. where she seduces him, or that something did happen, but it was of such minor import to her that she literally doesn't remember it. Yeah, exactly. Although the problem with that is you still end up with the problem of, of whether this memory is a uh, her perspective or not. Mm -hmm. I think we're left with the question of whether that scene even occurred. We were talking about this before we started recording, but my perspective is that he was so insignificant to her that she doesn't even remember it. Yeah. Or it's not even part of the truth. Like, yeah, he was there, but I, what was more important was my conversation with my husband about getting back in the Count's good graces. Yeah. I'm leaning toward that. Okay. I think what's also interesting is that the inquisition that she faces Mm -hmm. so she's violated a number of times in this movie like the first time is the obvious Mm -hmm. which we as the audience get to see twice thank you Mm -hmm. sarcastic thank you (laughs) the bad version and the worst version Yes. yes exactly the second time is from her perspective when she tells her husband about it Mm-hmm. which is very different from de Carouge's point of view, where he says, oh, I'm sorry, forgive me, and then hugs her. From her perspective, he's angry and then wants to have sex afterward. He's like, yes. no, I. he will not be the last man to have you. Yeah. 
to me, that's a second violation. Mm -hmm. And then the third is when she's facing that inquisition from the priests, right? Are they priests? I, I don't remember. They're members of the church, right? No, actually, there's a point at which I can't remember. I can't actually tell you who has what exact role, but he has mm -hmm. two choices. Jacques Legree can say, well, I actually have a church office, so I can be tried by the church. And yeah. everyone's just trying to sweep this under the table, right? Everyone's just like, this is such a big problem. This crazy trial by combat, come on, we haven't done this for generations. This is a kind of uh, marriage of Figaro situation where you're, you're calling on something which is technically legal, but we haven't done it for so long. Everyone just wants the problem to go away. And he could do it. He could say, well, I want to be tried as, as a member of the clergy by the church. And he chooses not to because he's like, mm -hmm. I want to clear my name. So because of that, so some of them might have church offices for sure. Uh, but this is not an ecclesiastical trial. This is a this is a state or a crown trial. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. Some of the questions she was getting some very invasive questions, yeah. which we'll talk about in just a minute. Mm -hmm. To me, that was a third violation. Just mm -hmm. the amount of the deep privacy violation that she was getting from it seemed like very catholic questions that she was getting <laughs> <laughs> like, does your husband bring you pleasure when you lay with him just oh my god what mm. the hell so i this poor woman and then for her to be standing on that pyre waiting for either her husband to die or for him to kill her rapist mm -hmm. it's tough it this is a tough movie to watch and yes. it's a tough movie to watch and, and digest yeah so before i get to my questions let's go ahead and just spoil the ending of this movie so okay. go right ahead so what happens in the end of the film is we have the duel itself and mm -hmm. now you and i and engineer mike we actually already knew all about this particular duel because we knew mm -hmm. about it from steve mulberger's Formal combats in the 14th century, which I don't know why I'm holding this up to the screen because this is audio <laughs> format and you have seen this many times. I have. Uh, so we, we actually all it. knew how it ended. And I paused yeah. the film and Mrs. Awesome had no idea and asked her, who do you think is going to win? Because that's that's the only major part of this that's historically clear. It is not actually even clear. I suspect it did happen, but it's not clear that a rape even occurred because mm -hmm. Legree always claimed it didn't, that nothing happened at all, that he never mm -hmm. met up with her. So even that is a little ambiguous. That got swept away by other legal things as well. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to read to you a paragraph from Steve Mulberger's Formal Combats in the 14th Century, if that would be all right. Sure, please do. To understand this, it will help to have a look at the ultimate deed of arms, the trial by combat. It clearly shows that formal combat was not sport combat. The trial of by battle or duel was perhaps a more bloodthirsty type of combat than open battle or other serious military operations. War was, in principle, merciless, perhaps, but in actual fact, Noble combatants often spared each other where possible for reasons of profit among others. Trial by battle was very personal and very hostile. It involved an accusation, appeal, of serious crime or treachery, most often in cases where clear evidence was not available and it was one man's word against another's. Victory by the accuser, appellant, could prove the abominable and usually secret crime against the accused or the accuser's defeat would show his falsity. One combatant or the other would be shown to be unworthy. One or the other 
would be killed or executed in the aftermath of his defeat. Trial by battle established an uncompromising standard in which one man was judged right and the other unambiguously wrong. Either traitor or liar must die. Good Lord. By the time we get to that scene, the, the duel itself, we know that the way that Dr. Mulberger has laid it out there is exactly the way it was. It's personal, it's hostile, it's going to be bloody, and the end is going to go one way or the other. And by the time we get to this, it's become clear that Marguerite, if her husband dies, the reason she's on a pyre, which I think we didn't clarify, is because she's going to be Mm -hmm. burned to death as a false accuser. Something that would not have happened if they'd gone through the normal legal process, right, where they were trying Mm -hmm. to sweep... But they want to go with this old school trial by combat. And if that's the case, then she's going to be burned at the stake. What you read from what Dr. Mulberger just did was Mm -hmm. he dispelled the myth that the medieval ages were nothing but duels and trial by combat. So by the time of this, this was largely or almost completely wiped out. This was not a thing that people did because this was so wrong. Yeah, the church was against trial by combat for sure because the church felt it was a big superstition to say that just because someone won meant that God favored them. Well, you can't read the Bible without saying that sometimes people God favored died. Tends to be looked down upon. Yes, well, you know, Jesus being one of those, for example. So because of this, the church was never a big fan of this. And it had sort of faded away. It still happened occasionally, but it it had definitely faded away. So while it's not the last duel, it it is like the last one. So the duel takes place and the scene is set and everything that he's laid out there is exactly as we think it's going to be. And as I said, like, It is not clear to the viewers who don't already know about this one combat who's going to win, whether Gris is going to win, he's going to kill Jean de Carouge, and uh, Marguerite's going to be burned at the stake, or whether Legree is going to be killed, and Mm -hmm. they will be vindicated. And in the end, de Carouge, Jean de Carouge, kills Jacques Legree, and he and his wife are vindicated as absolutely as it's implied here. And in fact, they then drag out and hang the corpse of Jacques Legree as a liar and a rapist. And it's a bit of a distressing ending because I wasn't really rooting for Jean de Carouge. Mm -hmm. Clearly, I did not want Legree to win because I did not want to see Marguerite burn at the stake. Had I not known what was going to happen, I, I did not want to see that. I also did not like Jean de Carouge. You'll be happy to know that he didn't live many more years. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I, I love the stinger at the end to see that he only lived a few more years and then died in the in the Crusades. Did they say and that then in Marguerite, the movie? Yeah, they did. Oh, now I feel bad for researching. I could have saved myself some time. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he, he died in the Crusades and Marguerite didn't marry. She lived another 30 years mm-hmm. and didn't remarry and lived her best life, apparently. So mm-hmm. um, ultimately, she was the winner in this yes. story. Yeah, this was a, it was a bit of a, a Pyrrhic victory for me. I was like, eh, I'm glad that he didn't die, but I'm also kind of sad that he's still alive. Kind of tough. It was also a Pyrrhic victory for him because yeah. the original f- argument was not about the rape. I mean, it, it culminates in the rape, right? But the original mm-hmm. argument is about Property. this piece of land, right? Mm-hmm. And he then, after the fact, is like, now I'm suing... Count Pierre again for this land because now God has shown through this trial by combat that I deserve this land. And because, in fact, Pierre had gotten it totally legally before he was married, 
He never got it. So in fact, I would argue the only person who is vindicated in this is Marguerite because he doesn't get the land. He's able to get the adulation he wants, but he doesn't survive very long. Uh, So I actually think it does work out better for her than for him Mm -hmm. by quite a bit. So I've got a couple more questions. Just, you know, my thing is a state law. Sure. For vis-a-vis de Carouge's father, was de Carouge really screwed out of that captaincy? Well, legally he was not. Once his father died, it was up to Pierre to give it to whomever he wanted. But he Mm -hmm. had every reason to expect that he would have gotten it. I mean, so first of all, his grandfather held it. His father held it. He has a very noble name. He is a great warrior, if a bit dim-witted. And so he has every reason to expect that when his father dies, that it will pass on to him. And he certainly has no reason to expect it will pass on to a mere squire when he is a knight. But that being said, Pierre can give it to whomever he wants. So legally, was he wronged? No. Just like legally, he was not wronged in that piece of land being pulled out from under him. I guess in terms of what is a normal expectation for that society, was he wronged? I would say, yes, he was wronged in that way, Mm -hmm. in the same way that he was wronged in the piece of land being sort of pulled out from underneath him. Although the film does a lot to make us not feel so bad for him by having him react exactly wrongly exactly. every time to yeah. the thing that goes wrong. But 20 years! 20 years! Yes, exactly. But I do think he had every reason to expect that it would be the case. But according to the rules, once his dad died, there was no reason that he necessarily would get it. All right, I, I seem to understand that. Final question. Well, this is going to be room for you to rant because I, I know that you wanted to talk about this. Yeah. What was the science behind uh, pregnancy and orgasm. Okay, so they make a big deal. The movie (laughs) makes a very big deal out of this question. And it is important to the court trial. It is actually historically important Mm -hmm. that the medieval science was that both parties had to orgasm for there to be conception. And, you know, when you consider it, although we might go, oh, that's absurd. When you consider it, actually, that's not that absurd. We assume that a man has to orgasm. I mean, we know that that it's possible for pregnancy to happen without that. But you have to have a a very large controlled case study (laughs) to come to that conclusion. Because by and large, male orgasmic ejaculation, which is the only time I'll probably ever say that in this podcast, is in fact how babies are made. For the homeschoolers out there, that's how babies are made. I had no idea. And the assumption that, well, women orgasm. So I guess it's the same thing because we can't see the ovum, right? We can't see the eggs moving around. So it must be the same thing, right? And so that was their assumption was that these were kind of equal things, which by the way, although the movie depicts as being like, oh, how terrible to say this. I don't know. I think if I'm a medieval woman, that's pretty nice to think. My husband, if he wants to get any heirs, he's got to please me. Also, by the way, in the Middle Ages, there's this idea of the marriage debt which has nothing to do with dowry, has to do with the husband owing sexual pleasure to the wife. Not just for heirs, but because husbands owe their wives sexual pleasure. And so that was legit. Because she is pregnant at the time, and there's a question as to whose child it is, scientifically then, according to the science of the industry at the time, if that child were Legree's child, then that meant that she orgasmed. After five years of being with her husband, and presumably not orgasming, and therefore not conceiving. So finally, when she has an orgasm with Legree, she then conceives. Now, of course, Mm -hmm. we can see 
I think even from Liguri's perspective, she doesn't have an orgasm. She is, no. you know, yeah. uh, we could see that that doesn't happen. But from the perspective of everyone else, like this is kind of the equivalent of you say that you were raped. Okay, let's have a rape kit. Let's see if we can find genetic material. You know, it very much is the same way. But the only way to do it is by not just asking these invasive questions, but ask them in open court, very publicly. Mm-hmm. Now, my rant is this, and I'll try to keep it short because I know Engineer Mike is already probably half insane by the length of this thing. The movie wants to have it both ways. The movie wants to like, oh, these stupid medievals with their belief that women have to orgasm. The movie goes to great pains to make it clear to us that Jean de Cruz cannot please his wife, Marguerite. And keeps saying he's interested in it, but doesn't actually do anything particular. He just sort of assumes that he has done so because he thinks he's awesome. Obviously, we have no idea what the sex life of these two people in the 14th century was like. There was no particular reason at all for the plot to move forward for us to even know that. The plot would have worked the same way if we had known that they had a very satisfying sex life. Or if we had no clue whether she orgasmed or not. I dare say that most movies that I have seen about lovers, uh, whether married or unmarried, they don't make a point of going, and by the way, she totally orgasmed. I mean, it does happen, uh, but that's not normal. They went around the block to make this point. And so for all of their smarmy, look at these stupid medievals, we're so much more enlightened. I would argue they're worse. Anyway, that was my version of your anti-Weinstein <laughs> complaint. This was my version of it. Like, how dare you then show that she didn't orgasm for five years and thus imply that, in fact, it is his baby that she has in the end, possibly. Now that we've gone off the rails there, what, what are your recommendations, <laughs> Nina? Okay, so we... Okay, so this movie, it's based on the book The Last Duel, A True Story of Trial and Combat in Medieval France by Eric Yeager. But we would be doing a disservice to this podcast and ourselves if we did not formally, mm-hmm. pun intended, recommend Formal Combats in the 14th Century by Dr. Stephen Mulberger. And that is by our company, Wittan Publishing. And a link to that book is going to be in our description. Yes. I think that is going to be our group recommendation. And I've got two more recommendations. The first, I briefly mentioned it at the beginning of this episode. So we talked about the Mad King Charles VI in Pop Medieval Episode 9. That was way back when. Wow. That long ago. I know. We'll have to have a link to that in the show notes for people who don't want to hunt for it. Oh, no. I've got a link right to it. Okay. Episode 9, Hail to the King, Baby, where we talked about the king. Um, So please go Go check that out when you get a chance. My last recommendation, Ridley Scott has directed a whole bunch of fantastic movies over the decades. And he's directed a couple of stinkers too. Not going (laughs) to lie. Not all of them were great. Prometheus, anyone? One movie that really stood out to me as I was watching The Last Duel was Gladiator because Mm. he is fantastic at directing fight scenes. He doesn't always connect when it comes to the emotional scenes. Yeah. I think in The Last Duel, he did a really good job though. I think Agreed. what he stuck to what he did best and when it came to anything that was really emotional, he didn't linger too much if that made any sense. Mm-hmm. But his fight choreography and how he manages to get everything together on screen when it comes to fighting, and that includes horses and, and people in costume and battle, everything, armaments, that is done absolutely flawlessly. 
So I want to recommend Gladiator from the year 2000, which was the hit movie of the year, if anyone remembers that. If anyone was alive back then. Were we the only people alive in 2000? I, I feel like we were. The world was a, a wasteland with only a couple dozen people. Ridley Scott, the cast of Gladiator, and we here on this podcast were the only ones alive. I know. <laughs> So Gladiator is slightly dated. There are some special effects that don't look as good today as they did back then. However, the fight scenes out in ancient Rome, Italy, and the like still look really, really good. So please check that out when you get a chance. All right. So I have two recommendations. One is a present and one's a future recommendation. So the present is a different book by Stephen Mulberger, one that we did not publish. It's called The Combat of the 30. The Combat of the 30, which he's the translator and editor from Freelance Academy Press, part of their Deeds of Arms series. And it deals with another formal combat where instead of just two people, two teams of 30 each gathered together and had a formal combat again in the 14th century. I think this one was in Brittany. And it was as that time it was already as old-timey, old-fashioned. Everyone thought, really? Is this how we're going to do it? And they did it. And it was a real event, The Combat of the 30. And so I'm going to recommend that book also by Stephen Mulberger. But that leads to my future recommendation. So Stephen Mulberger has, in fact, written two scripts. Two scripts Mm -hmm. which will be published by Witan Publishing under our new Shopcraft imprint. Yes. In early 2022, I don't think we mm-hmm. quite have the galleys to him yet. So, we're, but it will be it won't be before Christmas. By the time you listen to this, well, it depends on how else you listen to this. It might be out, <laughs> I guess. But early 2022, and the two scripts are called "Blood in Honor of the 30 and "The Spanish Prince." And "Blood in Honor of the 30 is about another one of these formal combats. The Spanish Prince is more about political intrigue. Uh, but if you were very interested in this kind of formal combat, I got to tell you, if you saw the opening and the final scenes of this film and you really like them, reading Mulberger's Formal Combats in the 14th Century Century from Witan Publishing, reading The Combat mm-hmm. of the 30 uh, from that he translated from Freelance Academy Press, and then in the spring reading Blood and Honor of the 30, that should satisfy your appetite for dealing with these 14th century combats. We really look forward to the upcoming scripts from Dr. Mulberger because he's a fantastic writer, very dynamic. Yes. So anything else for the good of the cause before we call this Movember to an end? Again, I really want to stress to our listeners, we did like this movie. Yes. We really did. As much as we picked on it and we've ranted about it, we really did enjoy it. And we are looking forward to the awards it's going to collect, hopefully. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, having uh, this Movember, we had a lot of movies which were, say, very ahistorical. This one... Mm -hmm was very historically accurate. There were, you know, a few, there were certainly nits that could be picked, but there was Mm -hmm. none of the medieval grotesque. It was really on point, I think. It's about the best you can expect, which was wonderful. So strong, strong, strong recommendation for our last Movember movie. Agreed. Another Movember wrapped up. All right. Well, West Through Hall, Nina. West Through Hall, Doc. Pop and Evil was recorded under the studio. Hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. Music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening.
all the people involved, the last person who's likely to actually know this from the outset that her life is in danger is him. So when it comes to the trial, I got to tell her not to run the microwave. Uh, when it comes to... <laughs> Michael can get rid of that, yeah. So when it comes to the trial, you know... Um, Someone's getting burned in the microwave. 